Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! This one's about Pete Kelly. Nothing like that. I'm an altar boy over there. Father calls me Little Jake. I sure got you working the late shift. I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. Father wants a favor. I'll make it a small one. I'm all out of the big one. And he just wanted to know if you could come by St. Timothy's and see him. He said tomorrow morning right after the 9 o'clock. Okay. Tell him he keeps terrible hours. I'll be there. Thanks, Mr. Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, that's right. I'm a kid. Goodbye. He knows his way out. Should I go, Mr. Kelly? Be the kid. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Kelly. Yeah. Goodbye, Jake. You got someplace private we'd like to talk. This is my office. <laughs> 
Now listen hard, bright eyes. There's enough gun in this coat to blow you right through the wall. I'll take your word for it. We come in here nice and you get funny, Mom. Now you got some place we can talk. I can't leave. I gotta do a number. Do it. We'll be right here about ten feet from your stomach. Yeah. All right. Let's go. You look sick, Pete. What's the matter? I feel fine. Who's sorry now? Everybody ready? Let's go. Now, let's go. Yeah. Keep them going, Red. How many shall we do, Pete? If this works out, about ten minutes worth. Let's go. The alley will do. We need a favor, Kelly. Yeah, there's a run on them tonight. Give me the envelope, Dix. Yeah. You got an inside coat pocket, Kelly? Come on, come on. Either throw or pass the dice. Hold him, Dix. Him up, Dex. Come on. Up. Yeah. Now, this is how. Here's an envelope. It goes in your inside coat pocket and it stays there until 6 o'clock tomorrow night. You don't open it, you don't mess with it. What happens at 6 o'clock? You'll be the first to know. Well, I stood there in the alley and watched him walk away. Inside, Lupo was blowing up a storm. Something about paying for a seven piece band and only having six. Well, it wasn't worth trying to get back on the stand. I got a cab and went up to my room. I tried to get to sleep. It was no good. I got up. I was sick to my stomach. After that, I went to sleep. The next morning, I made a pass at some breakfast and tried to look through the sports page. Harry Heilman got four for five against the Red Sox, but that's all I read. That envelope had me. People have been taken out in alleys before, and they've been worked over. Usually, they get something away from them, not to give it to them. No matter how I tried to put it together, it wouldn't come out. Thin or fat, it wouldn't slice. I had the envelope, and I had to wait till 6 o'clock. Well, I gave up on the coffee, and I started over to see Father Cronin. It was a little after 9.30 when I started up the steps of St. Timothy's. I figured mass was almost over, so I hung around in the vestibule for a couple of minutes, trying to look like a part-time bell ringer. Hi, Mr. Kelly. Hello, Jake. Father's back in the sacristy, Mr. Kelly. He said for me to show you the way. They move it? No, sir. All right, Jake, show me the way. 
This way, Mr. Kelly. Down this aisle. Well, I guess I was too busy trying to act like I knew my way around to pay much attention to a fat, chunky little guy wearing a brown Borsalino hat. He stood up in a back pew a couple of aisles over. The church was empty except for the three of us. Little Jake found out about it just before I did. Mr. Kelly, that man back there. All right, mister. I'll take that envelope. Jake, get out. Mr. Kelly, look out. Look out. Kansas City, you learn early to look for trouble, any place, any time, but this is the first time it caught up with me in the middle of a church. The last three shots were a waste of money. Jake went down like young wheat in a hailstorm. When I grabbed for him, I hit my head on the base of a marble pillar. I lost the edge right there. By the time I hit the street, he was gone. I guess I covered every alley and street in the neighborhood, but it was like trying to wash a pail of dirty water. I don't know how much later it was when I stopped for a minute in an empty doorway and tried to remember what I was chasing. Well, a siren was crying off somewhere in the distance and I started back for the church. The coroner's wagon was just pulling away as I got there. I didn't see Father Cronin around, so I went back to the rectory and rang the bell. He came to the door in his shirt sleeve. He stood there for a minute just looking at me. And then he motioned me inside. In here. Sit down. The kid, Father, little Jake. He's dead. You want to blow by blow? Yeah, I know, Father. I was there. Sure you were there. You're always there. I should have known better than to call you. I should have known it meant trouble. Oh, wait a minute, Father. This wasn't my party. I called you here today to ask you a favor, Pete. Yeah, I know. You don't know. It's too late now. We were going to have an altar boys picnic tomorrow at Washington Park. I wanted you to play a little music for us. We won't be going now, Pete. We got a funeral instead. Yeah. What do you want me to say? Don't say anything, Pete. If you've got any private fights, that's your business. But don't bring your beefs into the church. I never saw the guy before, Father. Don't kid me. He didn't come in here to shoot little Jake. Now, look, I know this is hard to understand. You bet it's hard to understand. We've been over it before, but you ran with the same pack. You hung on to the same friends. You had it all figured out. Well, you figured this one, Pete. There's a nine-year-old boy on his way to the morgue. He took a gangster's bullet that you earned. Now you go ahead. Figure it. I, I got this envelope. I don't want an explanation. Take your excuses and peddle them where you need them. For the bootleggers and the gunmen. Take them to your crowd. This envelope, Father. They shoved it in my pocket. I was out in the alley behind the club. Two guys. They worked me over. I didn't think they'd try anything like this. Neither did little Jake. All right, Father. I told you I was sorry. Go on home. Why don't you stop cutting at me and say a prayer for that kid? I would, but I'm too busy praying for people like you. Well, you couldn't blame him. How do you explain away a dead kid lying in front of an altar rail? All I could offer was a two-cent envelope in my coat pocket in a wild night in an alley. I started to walk back to my room. I tried to paste up some kind of an answer, but I got nothing. I was halfway home when the last breeze left town and went someplace to cool off. My clothes were soaking wet, and I decided to take a cab the rest of the way. I reached in my pocket, and all I had was 23 cents, so I kept walking. Sunday morning's the same in any town. Empty streets and everybody home trading the comic section and living off of Saturday night. You could live here all your life, and on Sunday morning, you just got in town. It was about noon when I got to my hotel. I went up to the second floor and unlocked my door. They were sitting on the bed. Their coats were off, and they'd hung them on the back of a chair. The same two boys had given me the envelope last night. Got a real hot room here, Kelly. You want to move off this court? Yeah, next time I'll get twin beds. Is everything all right with that envelope? It made a murder, mister. You take it. Put it back in your pocket. Now, get this, both of you. There's a lot of something wrong here. I've had my turn. You find yourself another fall guy. There's a lot of inside coat pockets in this town. Look for a new one. We like yours, and that's where it's going to stay. Now, you don't listen good. 
Me and Dex put it out last night, and you didn't pick up on it. We got you on board, and we'll tell you when to get off. Six o'clock, boy. How long do you think this jag will last? Look, I'm cashing in. I've had enough. What were you doing this morning? Trying to pray your way out? A priest wanted a favor. I got it, Lon. Yeah. Yeah, he's here. No, he's busy. From two five. Sure, come on up. Benny. You went for it, huh? On his way up. We're going to stay a while, Kelly. Well, there's only three chairs. I'll make it easy for you. Stay put, mister. No, he's your friend. I'm checking out. <laughs> First time you've been right. Well, it happened so fast I didn't even see his arm move. My knees buckled and I pitched forward. I don't know how long I laid there, but when I opened my eyes, the afternoon sun was almost gone. What was left of it was bleeding through a rip in the blind. Well, I could hear somebody breathing hard like a fat man on a hot day, and when I rolled over, I saw him. A tough prohibition agent by the name of Cage. The weather didn't make any difference to Cage. He always looked that way. His collar was wilted, and it looked like Arrow's first try. His necktie was pulled down, and the knot was twisted. The heat had worked him over so that the front of his shirt was splotchy and damp. It reminded you of a first-grader's map of the world. He was sitting in a chair with his arms draped over the back and his head resting on his hands. He was smoking a mile of violet, but it didn't help that much. His mouth was wound around a toothy grin, and he looked like a mountain lion who'd just eaten her young. You can get up now, Keller. You made your point. Yeah, sure. How long you been here? Long enough to fill out your book and slip. You're going to jail, mister. What for? Sleeping on the floor? For the dead guy on the bed. Who is he? I don't know. How'd he get there? You put him there after you shot him. I get your hat. Look, prohibition's your racket. Dead bodies are out of your line. Not when I find him in your room. Now let's go downtown. We'll both tell homicide. We'll find the details later. Gage, you couldn't find yourself in a mirror. I didn't have anything to do with this, and you know it. I've been out for the last three hours. This happened after they slugged Save me. it for the jury. All I know is I got a phone tip to check room 205. I come up here and I find you and a dead guy. That's all I need. You can dress it up fancy and make it look cute, but it still comes out there's enough liquor in this town to float it away, and you're wasting your time with a killing that's none of your business. You're my business, big shot. Somebody put two pounds of lead in Benny's chest, and you're my pick. Benny who? Benny Davis. He worked for Mike Quinlan. You look pale. Yeah, I'm just beginning to feel the squeeze. Mike Quinlan on one side, and those two trigger men that you let walk out of here on the other. You got it, and I'll be turning the handle. Now, before you start worrying about your picture in the paper, you better turn up the two guys that were here with me. That part of the same dream? They gave me an envelope to hold for him. The price on it's going up with a minute. A nine-year-old kid died for it, and this guy here on the bed. That's a good story. Do you write him down or just make him up? Look, you got nothing on me, and I haven't got much time. I'm leaving you. That's all right. I call downtown. The minute you hit the street, they'll pick you up. In the meantime, you better come up with more than you got. They don't hang you in this state on a hunch. I'm gonna check this room over. I'll find all we need. You couldn't find your head with both hands. Goodbye, Cage. All right, you got till midnight, big shot, and then I'll be around. Yeah. I'll have it all set up. All we'll need is time to run the extra. Well, I could have used a cold shower, but with Cage there, I didn't have the room to dry off. I went down the hall and headed down the back stairs. I figured even if Cage was right about calling downtown, I might have an edge if I moved fast enough. The sun was on the downgrade, but it didn't make any difference. It'd done a good job all day, and the heat was boiling up out of the ground. Well, if I was going to come out at all, I had to have some help. So I started to look for the only honest guy I know, an ex-bootlegger by the name of Barney Ricketts, the only bootlegger in the country that went broke in 1922. He drank himself out of business. I phoned eight different places and tried four. Nobody'd seen him. I was about ready to give up when I finally found him sitting in the middle of a bourbon fog in a little Spanish joint somewhere on the edge of the East Bottoms. He was sitting at a back table trying his best to make time with a plaster bust of Queen Isabella. Oh, no. Hi, 
Petey, my boy, you're just in time. I'm not quite certain, but I think the young lady here has a friend. I got to talk to you, Bartle. If you're any good at all with Spanish, now is the time. I was positive she'd loosen up on this second bottle of wine, but no, she's utterly uncharitable, and I think she's a picture of a perfect boy. Yeah, all right, Bartle. If you're a member of the old Castilian school, there can be no excuse for the conduct she's exhibiting. Yeah. Why, do you know I was even good enough to buy her three rounds of Portuguese brandy? Imported, mind you. But what do I get for my pains? Not even a civil thank you. All right, listen to me, will you, Barney? I'm sitting here in the most gentlemanly fashion, sipping this delicate nectar and trying vainly to keep the party going. But does she help? No! I've talked to her about politics, medicine, literature, Keats, Byron, Shelley, Faith Baldwin. I've even talked about the weather. Barney, she's a statue. Oh, a simple oversight, Petey. It could happen to anyone. Now, look, I'm in trouble. Of course you're in trouble. You'll always be in trouble because you're a child of adversity, a son of scorn. The fates spit in your eye and you try to retaliate, but the wind's always blowing in the wrong direction. You're a lost leaf in the mortal storm, Petey. You're a pebble shaking a tiny fist at the mountain. You'd like to fight for some strange, fantastic cause, wouldn't you? But you can't find anybody your size. Men are too small and the gods are too big. Petey, you're lost. You all through now. Yes, what kind of trouble? A pair of bum murder raps. Somebody slugged me in my room and I woke up with a dead guy. Oh, dubious honor. You mentioned two murders. One of them was an altar boy over at St. Timothy's. The other guy worked for Mike Quinlan. The same Quinlan that controls most of the Canadian import here in town? Yeah, that's him. Oh, time's short. Let's finish the brandy. Two guys started all this at the club last night. Names are Ludd and Dex. Mean anything to you? This law sound better with more brandy. Uh, you picked two of Quinlan's first string. Ludd Sandell and Dex Porter, both killers. Look, they gave me an envelope to hang on to. Now, nose around. See if you can find out what it all means. The dead guy up in my room, his name's Benny Davis. See if you can find out where he fits in, will you? It'd be a lot simpler if you just joined Quinlan's gang. Benny Davis holds a card in the same organization. Well, how about Ludd and Dex? Any bad blood between them and if Davis? If there is, it doesn't show. They're closer than unborn peas. You sure about that, Barney? Police blotter can't be that wrong. Benny's sister will tell you the same thing. Well, where do I find her? Chelsea Apartments. Beautiful girl, Petey. When you're my age, she'll disturb your memories. All right, now get going, will you? See how close you can get to Quinlan's headquarters. Find out what you can about Ludd and Dex and Benny Davis. Maybe Quinlan's got him on a special job or something. Find out what it is, will you? You find me in a temporary economic slump, Petey. I need car fare. Yeah, well, that makes two of us. I'm broke. You'll have to do it on foot. Oh, well, I have friends here, and my credit's unlimited. Well, hurry up, will you, Barney? One moment. Alfonso, would you loan me a dollar and a half? Come on, let's go. He's only bluffing. He won't shoot. <laughs> Barney headed down toward Bale Street for Mike Quinlan's place, and I started cross town for the North End and the Chelsea Apartments. I couldn't begin to work it out. If Dex and Ludd were such good friends with Benny Davis, why did they kill him? And if they didn't do it, who planted his body in my room and why? Well, I was running way late, and there wasn't much time to catch up. I finally found the Chelsea Apartments on the corner of Stocker and Bales. It was an old three-story wooden frame. I checked the mailbox, and Louise Davis was down for apartment 17. Well, inside, the hallway was dark, and a couple of gas jets were smoking up the ceiling. There was a potted palm by the foot of the stairs, and it looked like it was growing out of old gum wrappers and cigar butts. Apartment 17 was at the rear of the first floor. She answered the door, and you could tell right away Barney was right. She was pretty, and she had enough smile to last you for years. Yes? You Louise Davis? That's right. I can do better for you. You're Pete Kelly. I've heard you play. Yeah, well, so far, you're batting a thousand. Can I come in? Yeah, Sure. You didn't bring your band, so it must be a social call. I'll make this short. It's about Benny. What about him? That's what I want to know. He's got a couple of friends. I got to know about him. Benny isn't that popular. You mean Ludd and Dex? They'll do. They got trouble and they're cutting me in. What kind of trouble? No, I'm not sure. That's why I came to you. I can't help you. They never tell me what they're doing. 
Well, they gave me an envelope. They told me to hold it till 6 o'clock tonight. You haven't got any problem. You'll know in an hour. Yeah, well, maybe I'm tired. I want to know now. I'll take any lead you got. They found out I told you this. They might not like it. They got some kind of a beef with Quinlan. Does Mike know about it? I wouldn't know. I just heard him talking one night. They're not happy with the money Quinlan gives them. They got any plans? I don't think we'd better talk about this. Let me get you a drink, huh? Now, look. This is the last trip around for me, lady. I got to have everything you know. You said something about an envelope, didn't you? That's right. You got it? Right here. If you open it, you'll understand everything. Well, they gave it to me sealed. They want it back the same way. If you want to be around to give it back, you'd better open it. You got a guarantee, Andy? All I know is the three of them are working on something big. I don't know what it is, but I heard some talk about an envelope. It's your choice. You ask for a lead and you got it. Yeah, we'll hold hands when they cut me down. You got a letter opener? Pete, look out! Well, it all happened faster than a Mexican divorce. Louise Davis was dead before the echo left the room. Well, I got to the window, but whoever did the shooting was gone. I grabbed the envelope, and on my way out, I took another look at her. There wasn't anything left but the smile. I cut through a couple of back lots and down an alley. I stopped in the doorway and opened the envelope. Inside was a handful of typewritten sheets. Looked like a lot of headache for five pieces of paper. And then the bell rang. Two of them were consignment slips for 8,000 gallons of high-grade Canadian whiskey. The other three slips were detailed breakdowns for a convoy of trucks. They showed special truck routes over the Canadian border into the States to miss the hijackers and the prohibition agents. They showed a day-by-day schedule for each truck on its trip down from the border. Well, it's not too tough to hijack a load of booze, but when you got it laid out right down to the time, the place, and how many bottles, it's like money in the bank. Well, I knew right then why the envelope meant so much to Ludden Dex. What I couldn't understand was where they got it, why they gave it to me to hang on to. Well, maybe they were working for Quinlan, but why didn't he have the papers, and why weren't they in his safe? Mike had a big one. Well, the questions were still piling up. It was an outside chance, but I couldn't stand still, so I crossed over to the Kansas side and headed down Boulder Road to Fat Annie's place. Maggie Jackson did two things good. She sang the blues better than the guy who wrote them, and she could pick up an idle rumor at three miles. Hi, Pete. Maggie, what do you know? I knew you'd be here tonight. You always come in together. Trouble and Pete Kelly. Yeah, I know. I never come around except when I need something. As long as I have it to give, you got it. It's Mike Quinlan that's time in it. Well, that's part of it. I'm in it up to my ears. You got an envelope, I heard. Yeah. Mike Quinlan and some of his boys have been here about an hour ago. They tore the paper off the walls looking for you and Dex and Ludd. Dex and Ludd? Mike wants all three of you. Yeah? Anything else? No. Barney Ricketts called for you. Did he leave a number? He's still waiting on the phone. I took the call. He said you'd end up here, so he just hung on. Well, I'll get it right now. Yeah, the boss is kind of mad. The phone's been tied up for two hours. All right, thanks, Maggie. Sure, and good luck, Pete. Hello, Barney. Ah, there you are, Pete. Yeah, well, hurry up. Thank you. Now then, Pete. No, no, Alfonso. No more money for the moment. What's going on, Barney? Where are you? Fort Madison, Iowa. I'm troubleshooting for you, Pete. What'd you find out? It's a double cross. Mike Quinlan's involved in one of the biggest deals of his career, and Benny Davis, along with Dex and Ludd, stole the consignment papers. Yeah, I know. That's what's in the envelope. You better get them back to Quinlan. I understand he's been tearing up the town for them. Well, what do I do about Dex and Ludd? You sure about all this? That's why I'm up here in Iowa. I suggest that you join us. No, I'll see you when you get back. It's been a gay, mad world, Petey. We drove 60 miles an hour all the way up here. Yeah? Alfonso's drunk. He thinks the phone's a slot machine. He's waiting for the payoff. 
soon as I hung up the phone, everything fell into place. I had one big worry, to get back to the club and unload those papers before Quinlan caught up with me. Well, almost everything made sense now, except the killing of Louise Davis, Benny's sister. It was easy to see why they dropped Benny along the way, but why his sister? How did she tie in? Well, on the way back to town, I mulled over a couple of possibilities, and I figured maybe I came up with the answer. I started back for town, and it was rough all the way. I kept thinking any minute I'd bump into Mike Quinlan, and I couldn't be sure that I'd lost Dex and Ludd. It was almost dark by the time I got back to the club. The band was waiting around for the Sunday rehearsal. We ran through one number, and then things got cloudy. Now, Kelly. You're early, Dex. Close enough. No, not for me. You said 6 o'clock. Your horn's no match for this gun. Give me the envelope. 6 o'clock, Dex. All right. Let's try someday, sweetheart. Hand me that plunger, will you, Red? I'll give you the pickup. Funeral for little Jake tomorrow. Maybe you want to stop by. Yeah. 
Some things never figure. A nine-year-old kid shot down. No reason for it. None in the world. Nine-year-old kid. It's done, Pete. Don't waste your pity on little Jake. He's got a big lead on both of us. I don't get you, Father. You and I should die as good as a nine-year-old. by Dick Cathcart. Scoring by Matty Matlock. The music of Pete Kelly's Big Seven consists of Dick Cathcart on cornet, Matty Matlock on clarinet, Nick Fatul on drums, Ray Sherman on piano, George Van Epps on guitar, Judd Donat on bass, Mo Schneider on trombone. The songs of Maggie Jackson were written by Arthur Hamilton. Pete Kelly's Blues is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. Kelly's Blues, starring Jack Webb, with story by Jim Moser, music by Dick Cathcart. Number 417 Cherry Street is a standard speakeasy. The help is paid in cash, and the books are burned at the end of the month. Every week, we use 30 cases of booze and a pound of coffee. After salaries, there's gas and lights and a payoff to the Prohibition boys. In Kansas City, the price is good. For 100 bucks, they steer in the drunks and make one rate a year. The place is run by George Lupo. He's a quiet little guy who wouldn't give you the sweat off an ice pitcher.
The beer's green and Jim's as young as yesterday and the music's loud. I'm Pete Kelly. I play cornet. We start every night about 10 o'clock and we play till they sweep out the broken glass. We don't draw any customers. We don't chase any away. The music is straight New Orleans. It started in the front parlors of Storyville and drifted north. Some of it laid over in Chicago. That's where I got on and rode it out here with a piano player named Rosie. He's still with the band, but last night he was barely with it. We took a break about 11. Rosie was late getting back. He might as well have stayed in there because he kept looking around the room and the way the piano sounded, you'd think he had on a catcher's mitt. All right, let's take five, huh? Sorry, Pete, I'm a little behind tonight. You haven't left the station. What's the matter? I'm nervous. Take a look around. Near the door. Back this way. Place is full of cops. Oh, forget it. Have Jake open a couple of windows. And take a walk. Get yourself in shape. Not till I find out which way to fall. These boys are here for heavy duty. I'll learn that out in the kitchen. All right, let's duck behind the stand. Come on. All right, what about it? You know Dutch Courtney? I drink his beer, that's all. Somebody shot Courtney up tonight out near Highway 40. Well, that's too bad. He'd have drawn a good crowd downtown. Who killed him? I don't know, but whoever he is, he's in for a big night. The police are trying for him, so is his partner. Well, let him play. How does our place fit into it? I couldn't guess. We'll soon find out. See the big guy who just walked in the door? Yeah. Boss cop? Almost. It's Eddie Newman, Dutch Courtney's partner. Yeah. Come on, we better get back in the stand. <laughs> Dutch Courtney. They picked him out of the mud tonight. It means nothing to me. It does to me. Dutch was a friend. Well, if it'll help, cry. I'm short on time, Kelly. Give me a rundown on Gus Trudeau. There's nothing to say. He played for a while and he went to the boneyard. You know him. You know his sister. You'll have to ask Courtney about that. I haven't seen her since the old days. You know Gus well enough to figure he didn't like Dutch Courtney. He didn't like him one pound. Well, you can't blame him. Dutch sidestepped and paid Trudeau's way to jail. Bookkeep him. I don't know anything about it. All right, look, Newman, you're on the wrong track. Now, this is a job killing. Your boy got frisky and somebody sent down a Chicago gun. The price tag shows. Sorry, Trudeau's my pick. What did he hit him with? A high-powered rifle? Gus Trudeau's away up in Leavenworth. He used to be. Gus went over the wall this morning. When he shows up, I want him. Well, why pick me? I ask around. He'll head for you. He's broke. He'll need train fare. No, not if he killed Dutch Courtney. Somebody will give him a railroad. <laughs> They dragged the blues out of the back room and moved them up front. There were three of the best leading the parade. They were all blowing cornets. One was Buddy Bolden, one was King Oliver, and the other was Gus Trudeau. There was a lot of music, but not much man. He picked me up on a union date on the south side of Chicago and taught me how to play. 
He got into me for a Boston three-star cornet and gin for the rest of his life. When he got down to running errands for Dutch Courtney, I left for Kansas City. A couple of months later, Courtney needed a patsy, and Trudeau was it. He wound up with a five-year stand at Leavenworth. But Gus never felt right unless he was in trouble. Only this time he cut me in for a piece, too. Well, I picked up a drink at the bar and fought my way back to the stand. Anything wrong? No. Did you finish the set? One more to go. Sensation. All right, let's do it. What's wrong, Pete? Friend of ours killed Dutch Courtney. All right, sensation. One, two. They killed Dutch Carton? Gus Trudeau. In what? Prayer? Trudeau's in jail. No, not since this morning. Uh, which one of you is Kelly? I am. Friend of yours in town wants to see you right away. Who is he? He's waiting up at your room. Did he give a name? Just Gus. An hour later, I was still looking for an out. The muscle man on the side door went to the bar a little after 2 a.m., our base man, Red, loaned me his keys, and I slipped out. I got on to 12th Street, picked up his Erskine coupe, and headed up for my room. All the way out Grand Avenue, the streetlights were spending the rest of New Year's alone. Some guys with wide brooms were pushing at the confetti, and the fog was loafing down in Washington Square. When I got to my place, I parked the car in back and headed up the stairs. The college kids down at the end of the hall had their door open. The party sounded young. I was looking for Gus when I opened the door, but he had a substitute. I knew her way back at 18th and Hall Street. She was pretty and the fastest freight in town. That must have been a long time ago, because somewhere along the line, she'd run into a batch of Wednesday weekends, and she wasn't pretty anymore. Hello, Pete. Where's your brother? I don't know where Gus is. That's why I'm here. I knew you'd be the first one he'd come to. Yeah. Now, what about the break? I was up to see him two weeks ago. He didn't say anything about it. Pete, we got to help him. I've been hearing that since I met him. You're the only one who remembers, Pete. You're the only one who cares. No, a lot of people care now. Eddie Newman wants him. The cops are looking hard. I got to find him before they do. You got to help, Pete. He was supposed to meet me. That's all I know. I'll wait for him. 
He needs a hand, Petey. He's in deep. Yeah, well, he's always in deep. Now, you do what you want, Madge. I ran front for Gus too long. I'm out of the habit now. Please. If Gus wants cover, he can look for a police station. Gus can get away. Some money and a car, that's all he needs. It's going to take more than that to get out. Every cop in town's working tonight. Give him a chance, Pete. Help him. No, no, thanks. Gus has been good to you, Pete. He taught you music. He's been nothing but good to you. I'm paid up. I bought his gin for him for five years. Well, then do it for me. For what I used to be worth. Now, Madge, it's old. That was 80 years ago. I can't help Gus. Do it for me. I haven't changed that much. I have. You're still the same. You've been working at it. You remember. Yeah. Oh, it's the same, Petey. It's just like the first time. You never had a first time. How about a drink? Will you help me, Pete? Find Gus. Get him out of town. Ten bucks. It's as far as I go. Ten bucks and a quarter. Now I'm getting off. Where are you going? Back to work. Tell Gus to take care of himself. Hold it right there, Pete. You stayed too long in Chicago, Madge. I bought the gun in Kansas City. Don't go for the door. You better give it to Gus. He may need it. We're going to find him. You're going to help me. All right, come on. Give me the gun, Madge. If I shoot, it'll hurt. Put it away, Madge. Come on, drop it. Who is she? We'll trade. Who are you? Cage. I worked downtown homicide. We got on the floor. Madge Trudeau. Tell me about her. I knew her in Chicago. After that, I heard she did favors for Dutch Courtney. After that, I don't know. She tired? What's she doing there? Looking for Gus Trudeau. Oh. Or is Gus? I don't know. I've been asked that twice tonight. Now, this is the third time around. I don't know. You probably will. Why? Why do I have to get into this? Because you're Gus Trudeau's friend. Well, then let him get another one. I'm tired of the job. I don't blame you, fella. You're going to come out of this with a lot of trouble. For instance? I'll make it simple. If Gus Trudeau shows and you hide him, we'll book you for aiding and abetting. Yeah. If he shows and you turn him over to Newman, we'll... Send you up as accessory to murder. Yeah. If he shows you, turn him over to us, Newman will probably kill you. Well, that's good. In the meantime, what do you guys do for a living? We're busy. We couldn't prove Newman killed you. It's after two. Get back to that club. And leave you here? I got work to do. Like what? This woman. See if I can get anything out of her. Yeah, it's been done before, but I'll bet ten to one in your case. <laughs> Go on back. I'll tidy up here. All right. Good night, cop. Leave the rugs. <laughs> Cage standing in the middle of the room looking down at Madge Trudeau. He didn't watch me leave, but I figured it wouldn't be too long before he turned that gleam back on me. I went back to 417 and I ran into our piano man, Rosie, outside in the alley using a smoke for a chaser. Happy holidays, Petey. How's Gus? I didn't see him. An odd hour of the morning, Petey, but I figure the fates are hard at work shaping up a few sordid futures. Cut the piano, huh? You've got a very limited selection. What do you mean? Before the general citizenry sits down to breakfast, you may get a reward, the eternal kind. Come on, what is it? I've got it all figured for the two of us, Petey. Today we'll spend our time dodging destinies. We'll hit for some small back room. I'll bring the bottled goods. We'll live on gin and sauerkraut and make the walls sit up and listen. One horn, one piano. The blues, Petey. We'll ride them into the middle of next year. All right, throw the bottle away, will you? Just set me straight, huh? Across the river, there's two places, the High Life Club or Fat Annie's. You sure he's there? That's what the word is. I'll pass the hat down at the Union Hall for both of them. Discuss alone over there. Right now, but there's going to be a crowd. What do you mean? I told you. Yeah. When Eddie Newman gets back, i got to tell him. (laughs) 
Well, I knew it was a silly move. Newman had a hundred guns on tour for Gus. Cage and the boys from headquarters were standing by for seconds. Helping Gus Trudeau was out of order, but I couldn't get one thing out of my mind. If Gus did kill Courtney, why didn't he pick up some travel money before he did it? It was backwards. If you're going to hang up your pants, you take them off first. Well, it was about 3 a.m. when I got down to the river and crossed over to the Kansas side. The High Life Club was smoked up and had a little of everything except Gus Trudeau. I looked in the kitchen and tried a back room, and then I went to the bar to see if I could drum up some talk. I had one taker, a boy with wavy black hair. He got up from a table of three others and walked over and sat down next to me. Huh? All right. Come in here, Alvin? Well, that's the first time. Welcome, man. I'll buy you a drink? No, I'm all set. You try one yourself. Huh? Well, I think drinking's all right, but I hate people to drink too much. Don't you? You work here? Well, not regular. Sometimes I dance when the other act doesn't show up. You here alone or you waiting for something? I'm waiting. For a guy named Gus Trudeau. You want his phone? I met. Where is he? Well, he left a while ago. I'm not sure where he went. Well, you get sure. It's important. Well, you mentioned someone named Bessie. All right, hold it. What are you here, Kelly? Get away, Newman. Try another stool. Oh, this will do. Well, if he asked you to leave, I think you should leave. Boy, that's nice. Leave him alone. Who is he? I never saw him before. What does he know about Trudeau? Nothing. Now, don't kid me. You're not here to spend the time of day. You're here for Trudeau. You little friend. Where's Gus Trudeau? I don't have to talk to you. I'm a guest in this place. You're not anymore. Climb down and head for that door, both of you. You can't make us do that. We're not going to lose. It's a split boat, Buster. I don't like the way he pushes. That's right. Just walk. I'll bet you look good. I knew right then, as we walked across the floor, I knew Eddie Newman wasn't going to leave him alone. He was going to pick at him, whether he knew anything about Gus Trudeau or not. It was going to get messy, and the boy with the nice eyes was going to help. Outside, it wasn't snowing anymore, but the ground was covered right down to the river. There was a moon out, and it looked all right, if you like nature. We walked over toward a bunch of trees. Newman's car was parked there. It was a black touring sedan with a strong-arm guy in the back seat. There was another one sitting on the running board. He had a machine gun across his lap. This will do. All right, now, let's hear about Gus Trudeau. I don't know anything about him. This man and I were just talking. Go easy, Newman. I never saw him before. Did you always talk to strangers or Betty? It's none of your business. Where's Gus Trudeau? I, I wouldn't tell you. Suppose I knew. I wouldn't tell you. Yes, you would. <laughs> you keep your hands off of me. Stop pressing, Newman. You don't care about Trudeau now. You just don't like this guy. Stay out, Kelly. Come here. You... Let go. Let go. Stop screeching. I'll you... break your arm. You keep your hands off me. You... you pig. You dirty pig. You're in trouble, fella. Shut up. Well, he is a pig. His hands are all dirty and his teeth are dirty. I bet even his clothes are dirty. All of them. Now, lay there. All right, Dave, move in here. Back away, Kelly. You're up, choir boy. No, no. Please, mister, do something. Don't let a thing like this happen. It already has, Buster. No, you didn't. Tell me, Newman, did you ever find out about Gus Trudeau? Newman didn't answer. He climbed into the car and they drove off. Well, I stayed there for a minute to look at the guy in the snow. His face was unmarked. I did him a favor. I rolled him over so it showed in the moonlight. I knew his mother'd want him to look real good the night Eddie Newman's chopper squad cut him down. 
Well, it was getting cold out, and the name Bessie had to mean Fat Annie's place up the river on the Kansas side. I made it there and found Bessie. She was back at the piano, wandering around somewhere in the middle of the blues. You couldn't miss that voice if she took up yodeling. Bessie Smith. I've got those Kansas City blues Since my man has gone away Hi, Pete. Bessie, what do you know? Round the back, Pete. You go up the stairs, the loft, way up there at the top. All right, thanks, Bessie. flights of stairs that didn't creak in time with the music. There was a door at the top, and I pushed it open. He was hunched back on a pile of hay in the corner. He sat up and blinked a couple of times. There wasn't much left, just the frame. And rattling around inside, a lot of tired echoes that wouldn't lay down and die. There was an empty gin bottle on the floor. Petey, I knew you'd get here. Yeah, well, I didn't make it easy. You're looking good, Petey. Everything's six to an even, huh? You forget easy, Gus. You're in the jam. You broke jail. Yeah, I told him all about you after Petey. I told him there's another Gus Tudor blowing down to Kansas City. I'm proud of you, Pete. Yeah, sure, Gus. You're just like me, Pete. I told him all about you. You're the only good thing I ever done. I knew you'd come through. A car and some money, Pete. It'll do everything. It'll make it all new. Is it too much to ask? You tell me, Pete. They want you for Dutch Courtney. You know better, Pete. I didn't kill Dutch. You had a reason. Yeah? Forget. He hung a frame on you, Gus. Five years worth, remember? I didn't kill Dutch. Get me a drink, huh, boy? No, not tonight. Don't preach at me. Just something to help me over. Oh, yeah. Now, come out of the fog, Gus. You're going to get a drink or a train ticket from me. You take your pick, because it's the last time around. Just listen to that. Bessie's still going strong, ain't she? Yeah, and so are the cops. I got one idea for you, Gus. Get moving. You remember Chicago, Petey? You and Madge? Chicago always liked me. You checked out, Gus. Biterbeck's got your chair. They'll remember me and you, Petey. I found you when you were nothing. What are you going to do? Where are you going? I got it all set up. It's big and brand new. A place in Mexico. Yeah? The guy who bunked in my cell with me, his mother runs a place down there be just like it used to be. Yeah, well, you won't get there on a gin bottle. I got it set up, boy. Car and some money, it's not much to ask. You haven't got a drink, have you? You can drink in Mexico. Where are you dreaming up the car in the dough? It's fixed, boy. You just see this guy and tell him I'm ready. Abe Gaffney. He's got a place on Pershing Road. You know it? Yeah, I know it. Abe's doing all this? Just tell him I'm ready. All right. How's Madge, please? Well, she's all right. Come and see me, huh, Pete? It's hot in Mexico. It gets hot here. What's the matter, Pete? You ain't sore, are you? No, I ain't sore. I'm just tired. I'll tell Gaffney that I'm checking out. Goodbye, Gus. You're not getting too big for your old friends, are you, boy? Friends are like everything else, Gus. Yeah? They wear out on you. It wasn't any different than a dozen times before. I knew there wasn't very much left, but I wasn't looking for a second-rate ghost with an empty gin bottle. I crossed the river back to the Missouri side and headed down Main Street and then swung over toward Abe Gaffney's place on Pershing Road. It was pushing close to 5.30 a.m., 
The sun wasn't up yet, and the night was too tired to care. I pulled up in front of the Murad sign in front of Gaffney's. Inside, a counterman with pimples and coffee was leaning on last night's paper. A beaded curtain shut off the hallway that led back to Gaffney's room. You want some? Yeah, Gaffney. Not here. Where do I find him? I don't know. I was supposed to meet him here. That's so? Look, this is Gaffney's place. Where is he? I told you. Now listen, Junior. Maybe you think you do a good imitation of Calvin Coolidge, but I want an answer. Where's Gaffney? What's your name? Kelly. You could have saved an argument. This way. Through here. When do you go to bed, Kelly? You still looking, Newman? I'm still asking. Where's Gus? I don't think you'd give me time to answer. There's a good reason why I let you walk away tonight. I gave you two hours all by yourself on the cancer side. I don't think you threw him away. You got a line on Gus Trudeau. I want it. I got nothing for you. But don't be silly, Pete. The cops get him or I do. He goes either way. You get no help from me. I don't want no help. I want Gus. Now, come on! Come on, come on. I'll make you part of the wallpaper. You better send for Dave. I don't need him. I think you do, and I don't bother to get up. I'm leaving. I don't believe it. Wasn't your turn, Kelly. When I got up off the floor, the room was cold and the lights were out. Newman was gone, but I knew he was still in business. I knew if he didn't find Gus Trudeau this trip, he'd come back for me. I got into Red's car and followed the radiator cap back to 417. I found Rosie back at the stand having breakfast. Did you bring an egg, Petey? I hate to drink on an empty stomach. Newman been back here? I haven't noticed. You look abused. Yeah. Anybody say anything? You were missed. You heard the news. What's that? They found the guy who got Dutch Courtney, a fellow by the name of Doyle, East St. Louis. Cops got the goods on him, gun, fingerprints, the works. Yeah. Well, it's been a long night. What was his beef with Dutch? Doyle owned East St. Louis. Dutch wouldn't believe it. Leave it to Gus. If there's a hole, he'll fall in it. Makes it easier on him now, doesn't it? Newman will call his boys off now? Well, somebody better tell him in a hurry. Did you see Gus? Yeah, I saw him. He's trying to get out of town. Pete Kelly? Yeah, that's right. Abe Gaffney, Pete. Well, you're a hard man to find. Newman came in the front door. I went out the back. This won't take long. Car keys. Money for Gus. No, you got the wrong guy, Abe. I quit an hour ago. Why did I with yourself? The car's out in the alley. It's a great channel. Tell Gus it needs gas. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can take this stuff to Gus. You know where he is. No, thanks. You take care of Gus. He's an old friend. What's the matter with you? I hardly knew him. <laughs> clock over the bar was leaning on 6.15. We got back on the stand and started the last set. Eighty pounds of stale cigarette smoke was holding up the ceiling and waving down on a dirty blue curtain over the dance floor. Behind the bar, one of the guys was wiping up. Two couples picked their way to the dance floor and pushed each other around a while. We finally gave up. Oh, the whole thing. It was all out of step. Wrinkled stockings, brown gardenias... Torn paper hats and Gus Trudeau. He walked in the door and stood off to one side, just back of the stand. All right, it's the last one. Blues and B flat.
right, that's it. Same call tonight, 10 o'clock. You can pack up. Hey, Pete. Pete, over here. I heard you. You sound good, Pete. It's just what I told him up there. You're on your way, boy. All right, now you heard it, Gus. I got the money for you in the car keys. I'll see you, Gus, huh? You know what I told him? Another Gus Chudo's blowing down in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. I only got one thing to tell you, Pete. Don't forget it. Play like you talk. Don't lie. Happy New Year, Gus. Oh, hi, Madge. Hold it there, Pete. There's a family fight. Stay out. I thought I took that gun away from you. What's the matter, Madge? What are you doing? No, don't sell me that talk, Gus. Dutch can't hear you. What do you mean, Madge? You killed him. You blew your top and you killed him, just like you did everything else for me. You and the gin and that cheap brass horn of yours. You spent us all, Pete and me, and you ran through the whole bunch till you got to Dutch. Pete, I didn't do anything. You killed Dutch Courtney. I loved him. I loved him enough to square it. Well, you got it all wrong, Madge. Goodbye, Gus. I'll tell him to throw your horn in after you. Paper Madge, you killed the wrong brother. Stay away, Peter. It's in the paper, Madge. Guy by the name of Doyle. He killed Dutch. They're not sure, are they? Yeah, they're sure. What'll I do? I got two things for you, Madge. (laughs) And the car keys. Now you see what you can do with ten minutes start. You didn't have anything more for Gus, did you, Pete? No. No, I guess not. Well, he made it. Yeah, Gus finally got out of town. Pete Kelly's Blues. Starring Jack Webb with story by Jim Nozier and music by Dick Cathcart. Scoring by Matty Madlock. Pete Kelly's Blues is based on characters created by Richard L. Breen. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.